If you're brand new to us, we're in a series on the book of Hebrews, and we're, we're, we've entitled this entire series Redemption. We're talking about redemption, what it is to be right with God. How do we get there? How do we walk in that? And uh, today we want to just continue to build upon that. I want to thank uh, Pastor Larry, Pastor Josh for preaching. They did a fantastic job. Cheryl and I were representing Convoy of Hope, and I'll just tell you what, this is one of our strategic partners and they are doing an unbelievable job in the world. And we'll talk to you more about that in the next number of weeks. But um, well, I'll tell you what, Convoy has been growing at the pace of about 20% a year, influencing millions of people around the world. And, uh, you know, this church has been on the front page of Convoy from way back when. So it, it's, it's not just something those guys are doing. This is something that we have, as Pastor Larry would say, seed in the ground. And uh, so very, very excited about all of that. But today we're going to pick it up. We're in, we're in Hebrews chapter 6 today. Um, if you're taking notes, I, I have the, the title today basically is this, Jesus is the anchor to our soul. And we're going to talk about that. But as we get into this scripture today, I want to uh, back up. We're supposed to be studying chapter 6, but I want to kind of to go back in just a few verses of chapter 5, because sometimes where uh, we find the chapters break, it doesn't mean necessarily that the thoughts have broke. And so I, I want to pick up on a continuing thought that flows out of chapter 5 into chapter 6, and then how many know we got a lot to cover when we talk about this scripture today? So here we go. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 and following, it says this, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Aren't you glad that the writer is, is talking to somebody else besides you and me? Because he's kind of saying, you know, you're a little slow. You're a little slow on the uptake here. Uh, we're having to go slow and speak slowly for you. Uh, let's look at what the, it continues. It says, it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though at this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you about the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. A little bit of commentary, I think, that flows not only from the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, but right to where we're living today. I mean, we are seeing a culture that has strayed from the things of God. Even a generation that's been, you know, sometimes people criticize our younger generation, but you know what? Our younger generation isn't where they are because of things that they have done. It has been the influences that have been handed into their lives. We have strayed. Is there an amen today? We have strayed from the deeper teachings of the things of God in our culture. And because of that, we do not have a common moral fabric and an understanding of even what is right and wrong. We're having a hard time figuring out things that shouldn't be that hard to figure out. Things that are going to bless you and things that are going to destroy you. But this is where we are. And it really comes down to this place of being spiritually immature. You know, today, one of our families came in. They're living in Hawaii right now. And they have two beautiful little children. Children and the kids came over, and, and I had a chance to talk to them. And, and you know, I, I love kids. We've got, obviously, we've raised our family. We've got grandkids. And, and you know, 
grandkids are awesome, and, and children are amazed. How many just love those little tiny voices of the kids? You know what I mean? Just those little tiny voices. They're so cool. And, and you know, just how you can have a conversation with a two-year-old that will blow you away with how much they know. And how many have ever been corrected by a three-year-old? You know, it's just like, you know, they, they seem to know, and we won't even get into what an eight-year-old can do. But anyhow, you know, there's all these places. But, you know, kids are awesome. It's fun. It, it's fun to hear their little voices. But you know something? When they're 18 and they're still talking that way, that's no longer fun. That's not interesting. That's a problem. Isn't that right? And it's interesting how we can see that in the life of children, but we struggle to see the same issue in our own lives. The question is, are we deeper? Are we stronger? Are we bolder? Are we walking with God more dynamically today than we were three months ago? How about two or three years ago? Are you leaning into God? Are you allowing God's word to be vibrant and powerful and, and stirring you and sharpening you? Is your discernment better than it used to be? Is your understanding of scripture? Is your confidence in, in who God is and even in your walk? Is it better? Is it stronger? Are you moving from the elementary areas of, of milk? Because today we're going to throw out a piece of steak for you to chew on. And we're going to find out how strong your structure is today. Are you really ready for this? Do you think you, think you can handle it? Something besides Cheerios for breakfast today? Yeah. Okay, well, so we're going to go a little bit deeper. And, and what I want you to know is that we're going to talk about some areas of theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. When you talk about theology, really what you're, what's important, I think, for us to look at is that in the Christian body, in the Christian faith, we have allowed too much division. I'm not talking about like our church particularly, but I'm talking about in the big, the big scope. We've allowed things to divide us and, and to hinder us and be places of contention where they don't need to be. Now, what doctrines are and what theology is, is it's structure. It's where, and this is the truth. You could have somebody sitting next to you today that, and, and scholars in the world today who are equally intelligent, equally educated, but they can look at the same scripture and they can see it differently. And that's what happens. And what I want you to see is that we cannot allow ourselves to have division with our friends or family or other Christians over some of these issues. We, we need to be able to be brothers and, and, and sisters and walk in agreement with the things that matter the most. You know what those things are? Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. Why are we on a series on redemption? Because Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our, our, our Lord and our coming King. So I want to lay that out for you today. And I'm going to talk in some very broad strokes and I, I don't want you to be reactionary. I don't want you to close down. I don't want you... You know how sometimes when, when you've had maybe something in your past that you've had a conflict over and you're with somebody and they can start to say three or four words and you just follow, you know, you just jump ahead and finish the sentence before they even get there. Don't do that with the preaching of the word. Listen to what the word is saying and let God teach us some deep things today. Are you with me? Everybody agree? So strap in today, put on your seatbelt, and, uh, and we're going to take a good look at a very powerful but difficult passage of Scripture. And you know what happens with a lot of us when we face a difficult Scripture or something we don't understand on the surface? How many, I, I mean, no condemnation here, just be honest. I mean, how many times when you hit a rough spot when you're reading the Scripture that you don't understand, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and turn the page? 
and, and, and keep going, right? And uh, so today, I, I want us to take it a little bit deeper. And so here we go. Ready? Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now, as I just read that scripture to you, that paragraph, it can sound like on the surface that what the writer is saying, hey, look, is we don't need to worry about these things. They're not that significant. That's not what he's saying. These are very deep spiritual truths that you need to have in your databank. But what he's trying to get to us is we need to be in a place of personal growth where we don't have to keep going back and learning the same things over and over and never putting them into action. He's saying some of you by this place in your life, you should be a teacher. You should be a mentor. You should be making a difference in someone else's life instead of you just coming back and dealing with the same things over and over again. So he's not dismissing the validity of these things. He's just trying to get us to be on a growth curve and say, you know what? I've got to have a bigger vision for my life. There's people that God would have me be an influencer to. There's people that God would want me to be speaking to them and encouraging them and mentoring them and making a difference in their life. So today, I want to release dreams in this place for you to see how God positions you in your business, in your careers, in education, all these different places of your life. And it, your impact will grow in direct proportion portion to your willingness to get into the Word and grow deeper with God. So let's take it. Next verse says this. Here's, here's where the heavy lifting comes, right here. Verse 4 and following. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Wow. Okay. The word impossible is not the word difficult. It's not saying that someone who has known the Lord and falls away, it's tough for them to come back. This scripture on the surface is saying it is impossible. You're wondering how impossible. Later in this very same chapter, the Bible's going to talk about how God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. It's the same word in the original language between this moment of what is impossible and how impossible it is. So you, you realize what I'm saying. You can't say, oh, it's difficult for God to lie. No, it is impossible for God to lie. So how many know this is a pretty stiff gate that is just coming down right here? Now, I have to ask you the question. How many of us, after we've received Christ in our lives, have ever sinned after that time? Anybody here? Okay. We all have. I have, you have. How many, after you came to Christ, you did something stupid? Anybody been stupid after coming to Christ? All right. How about big mistakes since you came to Christ? How about things that you are ashamed to even talk about 
after you came to Christ. So if the gate comes down, why are we here today? What hope do you have? What hope do you have? If it is impossible to come back, why are we here? This is, this is something that is so important for us to wrap our heads around and to grab in a deep level because we have to understand sometimes you're going to run into scriptures. That's why we call it Bible study, where you have to take a little bit deeper look instead of just flipping to the next page and going forward. You know, today, when I talk to you about theology, and what I'm saying to you is the, the, the word theology means the study of God. But theology really becomes framework. It's where, like I said, you can have two godly people, two godly scholars look at the same scripture, and they'll look at it differently. And there are really two big, huge camps. There's others. Don't get me wrong. There's others. But there's two big streams that we deal with in Christianity. When it talks about salvation, soteriology, the, the study of salvation, and, and those two big camps, one is known as Calvinism, another is, is known as Arminianism. And on the aspect of Calvinism, many of you have been raised in this, and you, and you know this. Some of you know it up one side and down the other. There's five points of Calvinism. And even as you start to talk about Calvinism, there's no absolute consensus about Calvinism. There are people that will say, well, I'm a five-point Calvinism. Calvinist. And then they start having conversations, and the person says, no, you're not. You are an ultra-radical Calvinist. And then there's somebody else that says, well, no, I'm only a three-point Calvinist. I believe this and that, but I don't really believe that. And so how many of you know? You just got this moving piece here. And, and what does Calvinism deal with? It deals with the, the theme that they would talk mostly about is the sovereignty of God. And how do people get right with God? How do you get saved? And the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. So there's a lot of complexity here, okay? And I'm not going into all of that complexity in this one sermon. Otherwise, we'd be here forever. So, so on, on what I want you to see is that there's a phrase, and even Calvinists, a lot of them don't really appreciate this phrase being separated and just used. But it's a phrase that is commonly used. It's once saved, always saved. And it, it comes back to this aspect of the sovereignty of God, that if you come into uh, a place of relationship with Jesus and you confess your heart to Jesus, you accept Jesus into your heart, that it's not up to you to keep your salvation. It is on the sovereignty of God that God is going to keep you from falling and falling away. And, and thus, the term eternal security. And you know, on, this, on that aspect, it sounds fantastic. It sounds fantastic that, you know, there's eternal security. But there's an issue there. And what's the issue? The issue is that that, that framework, remember what it is, that, that is a framework of theology. It, it's, it's points that people take out of the Scripture and create a way to teach and understand how they see it. On the other side, the Armenian is no different. It's the same thing. It is a framework of how other people see the same scripture and how they talk about it and they frame it. So if I could say this to you today, I'm going to unpack it a little bit, but I'm just telling you how I view it, okay? And that is that it's almost like I'm, I talked in the earlier services about it being like coming around the earth from two opposite ways, but ending up pretty much at the same spot. In other words, you could almost say it's like climbing a mountain from opposite sides 
but you're still headed toward the top. Does that make sense? And here's what I want you to see, that on the aspect of once saved, always saved, the reason why there's a disconnect there, and I don't say that to offend any of you, I'm just, I'm just talking in broad strokes here, but the disconnect is that there is a sense that if someone turns away from God and renounces their faith and, and, and just lives a totally different life, that they get put into a category that, well, they never really were saved. They never really knew the Lord because those who are elect and those who are chosen by God have the sovereignty of God that carries them all the way through, and they will not fall away. And there's a number of different scriptures that get used. There's like 1 uh, John 2, 19, where it talks about how in the last days, certain people will fall away. And there's a line in there that says that they were some who never knew us or were not with us. Jesus talked about how there were certain people that came into their mix that were not true believers. I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I believe that one side and down the other. There are people that come into this body that profess to be something, but they may profess it on the surface, but not yet made the decision of the heart. Does that make sense to you? And, and the difficulty here is, like, I'm going to quote to you, and, and again, these are great scholars, so I'm not, I'm not here to attack any of these people. I think it's so important for us to realize that we are in the same camp, and, and we may be coming from different angles, and it may be important for us to even talk about these things, maybe even debate them, but it's not someplace for us to be divided over. It's something for us to, you know, we got, we got some real battles we need to be fighting, and we need to be fighting them together. But I, I want us to be just understanding a difficult text of Scripture, okay? And, and so what I want you to see is that um, this topic, here's R.C. Sproul, one of the great theologians that comes out of what is known as Reformed theology or Calvinism, and he, he said this, so the old axiom in Reformed theology about the perseverance of the saints is this, if you have it, that is, if you have a genuine faith and are in the state of saving grace, you will never lose it. But if you lose it, it means you never had it. So that's pretty tough, isn't it? Because I'm not talking about somebody that has just come into your life and been a friend, professed faith, and then turned away and went a different direction. We have people, public people, even in the last number of years, five, ten years, in our culture, Christian leaders, people who have followed God, been educated, gone into ministry, uh, led great ministries, written books, had influence, and then allowed hardness of heart or sin, all the, you know, whatever it was that came into their life, and they walked away from it, and they have renounced their faith. They've turned, not just, I'm not, you know, going to be in leadership anymore, or these things, but have literally what they call deconstructed their faith and say, I no longer believe these things, and have made a big deal how they no longer believe in Jesus. They no longer believe these things. So, I just have to ask you the question, how much confidence does that really give? It's interesting. The book of Hebrews is a book that talks about boldness. Let us approach the throne of God boldly that we may find help in our times of need. The book of Hebrews is famous for confidence. 
It's, you know, these are the big words in this book we're, we're studying. Boldness, confidence. How about chapter 11? We're going to study in a few weeks. The great faith chapter of the Bible. It's interesting that in the midst of a book that gives you boldness and confidence and faith and all these things, assurance, we're going to read in a few minutes out of, out of Hebrews 6 that this hope is an anchor to our soul. Isn't that amazing? Unmovable and unshakable. And yet, what does the book of Hebrews give us? It gives us these unbelievable warning points and points out to us that we need to be careful how we're living our faith. So if it doesn't matter, some people say this. Now, theologians in this camp would not endorse this but just as it gets down into the grassroots, you've got people in your lives who go out and live however they want to live, and they say, you know what? I'm okay, because, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. Do whatever. It's going to be okay. I'm just saying, I think you've got to be very careful that you don't, you don't take that as a license to do something that's going to be destructive in your life. Does that make sense to you? And here's what else I want you to see, is that some people with this aspect of, well, you know, we, we, we move these people off the grid because they're not the elect. It's obvious that, you know, they fell away, and that just means they never really knew the Lord. I think that's a problem. I think that's a, a real issue that we have to deal with, okay? And what I want you to see here is that the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear who he's talking about. It makes me think back about when I was a young guy. And I was, I was dating a gal, and her dad was a dentist, a really nice guy. And um, I was out with their family. We came back to their house, and the younger son, Eric, was supposed to have mowed the lawn. And we got there, and the lawn was not mowed. And dad, who's a dentist and is pretty buttoned down, wasn't very happy that the lawn was not mowed. And so he's asking Eric, Eric, how come the lawn's not mowed? And Eric had one excuse after another why the lawn wasn't mowed. And so his dad said, Eric, next time I want the lawn mowed, I'm going to go in my office, and I'm going to write it out, single-spaced, 14-point font, and I'm going to spell out for you how to mow the lawn. The writer of Hebrews is ready to give you and me single-spaced, 14-font, so that we can understand, are you with me today, and have no misunderstanding about who he's talking about. Is he talking about somebody who knows the Lord or somebody who doesn't know the Lord? What does he say? It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. What does enlightened talk about? Coming into relationship. The lights come on. Your life is being changed. What does it say? It doesn't stop there. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Wow, the heavenly gift. That is, that's being born again. It's being, you know, have the Holy Spirit imparted to you doesn't even stop there. It says, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on, it says, and those who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. Now, the word taste there, some people will try to say, well, look, you know, a taste, you know, it's just a little taste, you know, it's like a cook just reaching in. That's not eating the meal, that's just a taste. So these people that he's talking about didn't necessarily really know the Lord. They just had a little taste of who he was. Problem. The very same word in the Greek that is for the taste of, of this aspect of salvation is the exact same word that's used earlier in the book of Hebrews about Jesus tasting death that we could be redeemed. How many know that when Jesus went to the cross, 
He did not just have a little taste. Jesus gave his life and died that we might know the glory of God. Anybody still with me today? Okay? So I just want you to see single-spaced. I want you to see the 14-point font in what's, what's being said here. He tasted the goodness of God, the word of God, the powers of the coming age. That word powers in the Greek is the same word that we have in, in the book of Acts as well. It's dunamis. It's the releasing of power. What does, it re, what does it respond to? Signs, wonders, miracles. So the Bible is saying, I'm writing to you who have been enlightened. I'm writing to you who have partaken of the Holy Spirit. I'm writing to you who have enjoyed the goodness of the word of God. I'm writing to you who have even experienced the signs and the wonders and the miracles of God. How many believe that's single-spaced, 14-point font that you can't miss it? But then it goes on and it says that in the midst of this, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted this heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the coming age, that if they fall to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So this whole thing that we're talking about today, if there's no coming back, what does this mean to us? And I think it's really important for us to just sort these things out and for us to realize that you have to look at the Scripture. The number one law of biblical interpretation is let the Bible interpret the Bible. Let one part of the Bible speak to another and, and let it really give you the mosaic and what the teaching is. And what I want you to see is that in the book of Hebrews, the immediate context is that the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people who have come to faith in Jesus. And they could walk right into 2023 and do really well with us because they were living under extreme pressure. They were being attacked for their faith. And they were being told that they were crazy to be following Jesus, that they had walked off the deep end, and they were being told that they needed to get back and go to the temple, and they needed to be a part of the Old Testament sacrifices or their lives were not right. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them is that you cannot mix your belief system here. You cannot go back to the temple and, and, and use the, the, the animal sacrifice in, in order to be right with God and come back at the same time and profess Jesus. It's kind of like the place we're in today where people look at a smorgasbord and they're like, you know what? Uh, I believe that. I, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't feel good about that. And we're picking and choosing what we think we can believe or not. It's almost just like this, dealing with a difficult passage of Scripture. Do we just skip over it or do we learn from it? 